0: Welcome or welcome back to Pre-Arb Excellence, a Roots-based Chicago Cubs podcast with an eye on player development. COVID has switched my attention to major league games this year, but players develop at that level as well, until they no longer do. If you have any questions about Cubs development, fire away on the contest line, at Tim815 on Twitter, or on my Facebook, Pre-Arb Excellence Group. Thanks for stopping by for today's episode. Perez for Wick, and ask me any questions if I was confusing. We spend our time where it's valued, and I don't wish to waste yours. This afternoon at 3.30, Al posted an article of mine, and I have listed on it the players who are on the in the 60-man player pool, but not on the 25-man roster? A list of about 30 players. After all, some guys are on the injured list, so they are technically on the roster, but they're on the injured list. So it's about 20 guys, 20, 25 guys. One of the reasons that the 60-man player pool doesn't, get the attention it deserves, and it should. It really should. If I decided I wanted to look up the Miami Marlins 60-man player pool, it should be rather easily available. It's actually kind of hard to locate for any team. I happen to know a place where I could go to get most of the pertinent information I needed, so in my article at the back end of 15 players that I thought ought to get called up to South Bend in the next week or so, I added the list of about 15 players who are in the 60 player pool, but not on the 25 man roster. So I put down the list of about 25 names, something like that. And it took about two hours, but it is obsolete now. The Cubs have placed Rowan Wick on the 45-day disabled list. I'm not technically sure when that would mean he's going to be eligible to come back, but really that's no rush. You want him to be healthy if he can get healthy and the 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 season's been going for at least 2 weeks, so he, you know, you should be I don't know when he'd be back. There's a specific day, but he, he'll probably be out for another three weeks or so. Um, and with Wick going away, Hernan Perez was called up from the 60-man player pool. I had Hernan Perez listed as one of the very few offensive players the Cubs had in the 60-man player pool that was, that were not on the 25-man roster. So there you go. It's obsolete already which is why not a whole lot of people burn a whole lot of time putting together a 60-man player pool list. They should, though. It should be something that is rather easily available on any site, on any blog, on any anything along those lines. So if you check out the most recent article uh, of mine on Bleed Cubby Blue talking about who should get called up to South Bend next this week, Take a look at that, and you'll have a list that was accurate up until about two hours ago. Hernán Pérez is a very versatile player. He spent quite a bit of time with the Brewers over the last hmm, four or five years. Principally a middle infielder, but he can play all over the infield. He's even pitched and he's a very useful type of player to have around. He doesn't hit a whole lot, which is why a lot of people rag on him, or why some people rag on him. Um, One thing that I've heard, but I have obviously no proof on, is Hernan Perez is a very good guy in the team's clubhouse. And I heard half of your eyes roll. Yes, I can hear when your eyes roll. Um, The entire concept of he's good in the clubhouse, a lot of people get really... Oh, geez, what do I even... They think that that's an overplay. It's as if um, uh, somebody has a nice personality kind of a thing. But certain players are good in the clubhouse. Some guys aren't. Some guys, uh, Milton Bradley, for instance, no one ever said he's good in the clubhouse. Nobody ever said that. At least I'm aware of. They They said he was a clubhouse. Cancer now and again, but very rarely did anybody say, yeah, 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 he's pretty. For instance, last year, I've even talked about this in a podcast, someone was asking Nico Horner, who was... Which of the players on the Cubs team last year were really good at getting him used to, prepared for, ready for Major League games in his 2019 debut when he was, oh, by the way, you're the shortstop, have fun. And we don't have any other shortstops on the team, don't get hurt. So, Horner is a second baseman shortstop, I think probably long term he's a second baseman. But last year due to Javier Baez's late injury, Horner took over at second base took over at shortstop and any <clears throat> excuse me, anytime a player is just starting in major league ball, it's helpful to have them have people around who are helpful because when you get lost, when you need to get just bounce something off of someone. Some players are better better at that than others are. Someone was asking Horner, who was particularly good at that kind of a thing from the 2019 team. He said, Daniel Descalso. You can like Daniel Descalso, you can not like Daniel Descalso, but there was no gun pointed at Nico Horner's head, as I understand it, when he said, Daniel Descalso was very helpful for me last year. When a player is useful to another player, it doesn't show up directly and clearly on the baseball reference page or the fan graphs page. There was a pitcher back a number of years ago. He threw the ball rather hard. And he was a bit wild. You've probably heard of pitchers like that. If only he could, you know, if, if only he could figure out the location thing. If, you, if only he could throw strikes. If only he could throw better strikes. If only he could put the ball where he If only he could... But time after time after time after time, they don't. Well, this, this pitcher was on that cycle. And back then, there were additional burdens for players in his sort of a situation. And he was having a hard time figuring out the major league thing. And he was down in the bullpen one day, warming up. And his bullpen catcher, I think his name was... Well, I'll hold off on the player's name. I think I know the player's name. but They were chit-chatting about something. And all of a sudden the backup catcher said something and the light bulb went on. The pitcher on the mound, out in the bullpen, realized I have plenty enough velocity on my fastball. I have a good enough curveball. I don't have to try to strike out every hitter. I can attempt to throw strikes, and if the hitter hits the ball, congratulations. And if he makes outs, all the better. So what ended up happening was Norm Sherry told Sandy Koufax, throw strikes, don't don't worry about all the other stuff. And Sandy Koufax became a Hall of Famer and threw for no hitters over the course of, I think, five years. And one of the no-hitters was a perfect game against the Cubs, in which Ron Sano said, by the second inning, we had it figured out and we knew exactly what pitches were coming. But it didn't matter. Players on the bench can be very useful. Coaches can be very useful. And with Hernan Perez... I hope it works with him with the Cubs and I hope he has a degree of success and even more than that, I hope he sees eye to eye with the front office. Why is that, Tim? Why do you care if he sees eye to eye with the Cubs front office? Within a couple years, Hernan Perez is going to be a coach. He's going to be a very good coach and... He may be the type that is on a fast track to be a major league manager. Or he may be the type of guy who's more well-suited to coaching at the Dominican League. Hernan Perez is from from Latin America somewhere. And it could be that he'd be a really good guy for the middle minors. It really doesn't matter where you place a coach. If you put a coach on a team of 25 players and he helps, let's say, seven of those guys, regardless the position, regardless the rank in the top 30 of the team or the top 100 of Major League Baseball or anything like that, if a coach walks in in April... Eh, Technically, I guess it'd be March, because that's when spring training starts. Coach starts with a group of guys in March, works with them through the 1st of September. Or if it's short season, he starts working with them in June through the 1st of September. If he gets seven of those guys to get significantly better than one might have thought that coach is worth his weight in gold. Because players develop in inconsistent manners. Sometimes you might expect, oh, it's all set. it's time for this guy to have a breakout. He's gonna do really well this year, but he gets hurt. Or something it just doesn't work that well he has a an elongated slump you don't know who's going to have a good year and when players respond to whatever stressors um they do and it's not always this is the one way to coach players that will make them better no that's not how it works if you're working with a David Bodie, it might be different than if you're working with a Braylon Marquez, or if you're working with an Aramis Ottoman or different players learn different ways. And if the coach walks in, regardless the level, and gets six or seven or eight guys to get better, more so than one would have thought, it's huge, because then The next year when they show up to camp, not only are they better players to start with, but if the coach has done his job properly, they get things. The game has probably slowed down for them a bit. For a number of years, Anderson Tavares, the pitching coach in Myrtle Beach, has gotten quite a bit of positive commentary. And players who show up in Myrtle Beach, pitchers specifically, sometimes outplay what was expected from them when they hit Myrtle Beach. Now, why is that? Well, it could be any reason. It could be any reason at all. But I'm under the impression from some of the stuff that I've heard that Anderson Tavares... Is part of that. I can't accurately emphasize how much I appreciate you guys listening to the podcast. If you would like to help expand the reach of the podcast, shoot an episode that you kind of dig to a friend of yours who's a Cubs fan, and maybe they'll enjoy it and start listening regularly and pass it along to a friend of theirs. It's all good that way. Anchor also permits sponsorships of podcasts. If you're interested in doing something along those lines, look into it. Uh, Either of those would be fantastic. On the other hand, if all you're interested in doing is listening to the podcast, that's cool as well. So, Anderson Tavares is the pitching coach for Myrtle Beach. And last year... Braylon Marquez was doing rather well in Myrtle Beach in South Bend one level below. And when he'd play against the really good teams, he'd struggle a bit. When he'd play against the crappy teams, he'd pour through them like he you know, whatever indicate whatever uh comparison you want to use there. Against the against the teams like Dayton who aren't really particularly all that good, he would have very good outings. Eventually they decided to move Braylon Marquez up to Advanced Day Myrtle Beach, which is um Tavares, Anderson Tavares territory. And I was interested, I was interested what he's gonna do, because he'd had outings where he just wasn't that impressive at South Bend. And he'd had outings generally against the really good teams that he was much better than they were. So I was figuring, okay, he's taking a step up in class. What is he going to do at this new level? I made sure to listen to his first outing. So I remember Myrtle, Myrtle Beach was... Oh, I can't even remember if they were at home or on the road. But when... when uh, Marquez took the mound. It was, wind up, here's the pitch. Fastball, 99, strike one. Fastball, 98, strike two. Fastball, 99, fouled away. And it was just 98, 99, 100, 101. All the time, all the time, all the time. And then eventually he'd drop in a 90-mile-an-hour curveball, and the hitter would be well out in front of it, and strike three. Anderson Tavares effectively found a way to tell Braylon Marquez, don't worry about everything else. Just throw the ball. Throw strikes, throw strikes, let them hit it. If they hit you out of the ballpark. Cool. Great. You know, that, that'll be something they might be able to tell their kids about. But uh just throw the ball, challenge the hitter. If you have a coach who gets across a point to a few players. That's how your team gets a whole lot, your organization gets a whole lot better. So Hernan Perez, if he enjoys his time with the Cubs, there is a distinct possibility that he might say after he's done with his career, yeah, sure, I'll stay with the Cubs or I will go back to the Cubs if he ends up going somewhere else. It's not specific, with coaching, it's not specifically about who offers the player the most, the the person the most money. Because with coaching coaching at the lower levels, I don't know how much a coach in a, a manager at the Dominican League level. I have no idea how much that guy makes. None. My guess is they probably make about 30,000. Maybe forty thousand, and if it is in the thirty forty thousand range, I doubt it's a case of where the player, the the um, the one coach makes dollars four thirty. Let's say thirty five is the basic number. It would usually be teams know how much other teams are paying coaches, and usually it would be a case of okay. The usual guy gets 35. You're just starting out. You were um, a bench coach last year, and there's an availability this year. So how about this? The normal's 35. They don't say that. We will give you 28. That's usually how stuff works. If the average is 35, they'll give the guy who's just starting a little bit less than that. Unless there's a huge competition for him. If there's a huge competition for him, then they might up it. But if you're having a huge competition, let's say of the 30 teams in the league, 26 of them want Hernan Perez as a coach at the Dominican League level. Just tossing that out. And the average is 35. It would probably end up being something where somebody offers him maybe 40, maybe 42. But it's not going to be a case of where. This guy is a potential long-term coaching option. So instead of the standard 30-35 that most people get, we're going to offer him $185,000 a year to be our Dominican League coach. That's not likely how it works. Usually, the offers will be about the same and the coach will decide to go to the team where he feels the most comfortable. So the last few years, Perez has been with the Brewers. I've heard he's had some good. I've heard he's had some bad. And um, it's all her- hearsay, which, which which spells out a whole lot like heresy. But um, Perez is no longer with the Brewers. Now he's with the Cubs. The Cubs are giving him a shot at the major league level. Here you go. You get that one shot. Hopefully you hit. Hopefully you're versatile defensively. Hopefully you get along with the guys in the locker room. Hopefully you're good at helping Nico Horner with working on his relay throws to third base or whatever. And if Hernan Perez gets along with the guys in the clubhouse, but more importantly the guys in the front office and the owner, he might be interested in saying, you know what, dudes? Do you, do you have a spot in an organization? I'd kind of like to coach at some point. Because if you have the guy who's interested in, who, who's good in the clubhouse, purportedly, and wants to have some sort of a career and hasn't made billions and billions and billions of dollars, usually coaching is how they're going to end up doing that. Coaching is a good way for someone who has a good quote-unquote head for the game to stick around for another 10 or 12 or 30 years. So Hernan Perez makes perfect sense as a coaching candidate at some point and getting him a non-roster invite spot for spring training, getting him onto the, getting him into camp, getting him onto the, um. well, theoretically he was probably in the South Bend alternate training site, but I doubt he's been there. I doubt he's been there. And I doubt that, uh, Jose Lobaton has been there. There are guys who know they, they're really not about, Hey, I got to make sure I got to get a couple of, um, BP at bats against a kid who would normally this year be at advanced A ball. No, that's, that's not what Hernan Perez is looking for. He's looking to try to fi- figure out what his next move is going to be. So, It could be Hernan Perez in a couple years is the person who's teaching the players that the Cubs have signed or drafted and getting them to be better. I'm good with that. Hernan Perez sounds like he's a good dude. And if he is, and he does have a good mind for the game, and he is a good coach, if he's not making a whole lot of money and coaches don't make a whole lot of money, uh sure, I'd be completely good with him starting either in the Dominican or have having him as one of the coaches out in Mesa all winter and all spring training long. Because regardless what aspect of baseball you're talking about, you could be talking about hitting. You could talk be talking about base running, you could be talking about defense at any of a various number of different positions, Hernán Pérez can help players with pretty much anything. Even though he himself doesn't have home run power, he's hung around with a whole lot of people and can probably explain the idea of the load to a player from the Dominican Republic who maybe hasn't really had a whole lot of, oh, advanced training in how to do what. Now, some of you might be saying, what's the load? And I think I have a couple more minutes before I ought to sign off. The load, back when I visited spring training, my goodness, was it the first time or the second time I went to spring training? I can't remember which. Andy Haynes, who is now a hitting coach for... The Brewers was a hitting coach in the Cubs pipeline. In spring training, it's div- spring training days are divided into two. About nine o'clock in the morning, the players all gather at the training facility, and they start with calisthenics, doing a little running or lift, you know, whatever it is that they do and throwing the ball back and forth, and then once they get done with that, then they go off to do different things at any of the four different fields that are located at the site. So, for instance, maybe the pitchers are doing pitchers' fielding practice, and the catchers are working on throwing to different bases while... On the third field, so that's two fields. On the third field, a batch of guys are taking batting practice. And on the fourth field, the guys who aren't taking batting practice or doing the stuff with the catchers or the pitchers are um, fielding fly balls, catching ground balls from coaches who, you know, fungo fly balls, fungo ground balls, whatever, or else catching stuff, uh, catching fly balls off the of pitching machine or whatever. So you you do do one thing for half an hour. Then after the half an hour, you switch and do something else. And quite a bit of the time, the pitchers are all off on their own because they have their own stuff they have to do and it's all specialized based on what day it is and did this guy pitch yesterday or is it leg day or everyone has their own little specific little training setup sort of thing. But yeah, the first half of the day, there's like three or four different sites that people go to, and they work on different things. So after that, it's about 11, 15, 11, 30. Everyone heads inside, grabs a little something to hydrate, cleans up a little bit, and then they get ready for the scrimmage game at 1 p.m. There are four teams that are organized. One is the AAA team, one is the AA team, one is the Advanced A team, and one is the A-ball team. And the A-ball and Advanced A teams stay together. And the AA and AAA teams stay together. So if a popular opponent is the A's, the A's have a site very near the Cubs site, So it really isn't all that important who people are playing against. What's important is you're playing against someone. So perhaps the A and advanced A teams go over to play against the A's. And the AA and AAA A's teams come over to play against the Cubs. So you have two doubleheaders going on at the same time in two different sites. So basically all four teams get to play and everybody gets a chance to get in whatever they need to get in that day. And it's wonderful. So you have these four games going on uh, that all start at one o'clock and they go to about 3.15 or so. But before the games start at one, before people get in at get into the locker room at 12 o'clock or 11.45 or whatever. As people were starting to head in after the practices were done, a couple of players went over to a batting cage. One player in particular, Jonathan Sierra, who is still with the Cubs. He's not at the alternate training site. He's about a 6'2", 6'3", 6'4", kind of right fielder. Daryl Strawberry-like, if you remember Daryl Strawberry... A young Daryl Strawberry really is a rail thin, but a little bit of muscles there. And uh, Sierra went over to the batting cage with Andy Haynes, who, based on what I heard that day, speaks some really good Spanglish. Uh, He was talking both in English and Spanish to Sierra, depending upon if there were applicable words in English or not. And what he was talking about was, in regards to a player's swing, there's the leading up to contact. That's one part of the swing. The after the contact, that's another part of the swing. So those are two parts. But there's one spot right in the middle where you're having your weight transfer. That's referred to as the load. As far as the swing, it's a very short portion of the swing. But it's a very important portion because that's how you turn your body swinging, body swaying, body turning into energy to make the ball go farther. So, Haynes was talking with Jonathan Sierra. Well, Most of the other people had headed in to get ready for the games that day. And for about 15 minutes, Andy Haynes was talking to Jonathan Sierra about a swing. I'm not talking about the first part of your swing. I'm not talking about the after you've made contact part of your swing. I'm talking about that in-between part, the load. I don't know that he actually used the term load, though. He made sure that... Jonathan Sierra knew it was we're going to work on your weight transfer and uh in your first batting practice run today you were doing kind of good at this part but you were lacking a little bit on this and then the the pitcher would throw a couple pitches from the mound you know how they have that little L net so uh there's a couple of pitches, and uh Sierra takes a couple swings. Okay, now, you see how, duh, 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 and he just broke the swing down, broke the swing down, hitting some fly balls, hitting some ground balls, hitting some short liners. Okay, now what, what we want you to do this time is, duh, 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 and instead of having the ball thrown from the L net, Haynes was soft tossing the ball. So he was just flipping it to him from about 10 or 15 feet away and Sierra would swing and it was a bit of a shorter swing because he didn't have the full time to do the entire... The entire premise was trying to improve Sierra's swing for that day. 10, 15 minutes, a little... Sierra would talk Haynes would talk. Haynes would talk a little more. Sierra would take a couple of swings. Okay, now, that's really good. That's really good. Now, one thing I want you to try to do now is, and just did the, not too much all at once, just let me see what you're doing. Okay, cool. Very good. I'm liking this. You're doing a much better job. By the time the 15 minutes was up, four of the last five, Swings by Sierra, the ball either hit the right-field wall or went over the right-field wall. The fourth time, the ball one-hopped the wall. Very good. Let's go in and change. That's what you call coaching. If Hernan Perez, for any team in the league, can help any number of players... To get better than they were before they started to talk to Hernan Perez, and in part because of that, they get a whole lot better at the major league level. How much of that credit should go to hernan Perez? I don't know. but if you're paying a coach thirty thousand dollars a year and over the course of I don't know what five six, eight, ten, fifteen years, he uh helps seven players get better to the point where their major league talents or potential major league talents and the team gains a whole lot of benefit from those players having been good from going through Hernan Perez's training. That sounds like it's a win for the team to me. Now will that happen? I don't know. Will Hernan Perez end up sticking with the Cubs after? I don't know. Giving him a chance Certainly makes it more likely. Thanks for stopping by, Pre-Arb Excellence. I'll try to post another podcast as circumstances warrant, probably the night after the game. I'll attempt to make that one worth your time as well. Be safe. Go Cubs go. And Be nice to people.